Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. My name is Jonathan Keenan, and I serve as the RUF campus minister at UCSB. That is our denomination's ministry to the college campus. And uh, it is always good to be with my uh, Christ Press family and to open up God's Word. So if you have a Bible, you can keep it open to that passage that was just read. We're going to consider Paul's interaction with the Athenians. I don't know if, if you saw the documentary that won um, the Oscar this year, Free Solo. It's a story about Alex Honnold, who um, is a free solo climber. And for those of you who don't know what free soloing is, it's climbing a mountain without any ropes, without any carabiners, without any kind of safety measures. It's a terrifying and ridiculous thing to do. And so the documentary is about Alex's dream to free solo El Capitan in Yosemite, and which is considered kind of like the mecca of, of mountain climbing. It's a 3,000-foot climb that he does without any ropes or safety measures or anything. I sat on my couch and watched Free Solo, and my, my palms were sweaty. My, hand, my feet were sweaty. I, I feel like I had vertigo for about two solid hours watching this. And I'll go ahead and make this claim. It was the most incredible athletic feat that you will ever see in your lifetime. And it terrified me. In Luke... In Matthew's account, right after Jesus is raised from the dead, there is this response, this call to action to go and to share the news about Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Now, in most Christian circles, we call that evangelism. In more honest circles, that's the Christian version of free soloing. <laughs> because I would imagine if you're here, the thought of, of going to your family or to your friends and sharing about what you believe concerning Jesus, it feels almost like free soloing El Capitan. Becky Pippert, in her um, kind of classic book on evangelism called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, she says this, regardless of tradition or regardless of, of nationality, fear is what permeates everything that leads to evangelism. Becky Pippert says that fear is what drives um, our evangelism. The fear of being marginalized and rejected by our friends or family. The fear of, of not being able to answer objections to what we believe. The fear of what we do not know actually being exposed. Fear permeates this kind of response to the good news. 
So regardless of where you are spiritually, we all have fears, concerns, issues when it comes to Christian evangelism, to this response that we see in all of the Gospels. And what I hope that we'll see this morning is, is by looking at Paul as he encounters the Athenians, that we'll hopefully learn a couple of things, hopefully we'll see and believe that, that evangelism doesn't have to be something that feels like a free solo attempt, but that it could actually be something quite natural that we do with mutual respect and love with our friends and our family. So to that end, let me pray one more time and ask God to help us as we consider this passage. So Lord Jesus, we do pray that the words of, of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. A couple of years ago, I was on campus uh, meeting with a couple of students, and a couple of them were actually skeptics. They um, were not Christians, did not believe in the, the resurrected Lord, and we're sitting in the arbor, and about that time, an open-air preacher began his, um, his open-air preaching. This is how he started off. This campus is full of pagans, and you are all destined to hell. Repent before it's too late. Very subtle message. How do you think the students responded at UCSB? Well, it didn't take long before a crowd formed, and it didn't take long before there was a shouting match between the preacher and the students, and it didn't take long to see that not much was being accomplished. And I was sitting around the table with a couple of these students, and, and I asked specifically the skeptic, I said, do you get the sense that that guy likes students? And I'll never forget what this student said. He said, watching what we've been doing for the last 20 or 30 minutes, I get the sense that he, that he doesn't really care about students. He actually hates them. He's watching this guy proclaim the gospel and his big takeaway was, I don't think that guy actually likes students. Paul's interaction with the Athenians is a beautiful contrast. And what I want us to see is that Paul's method for how he communicates the gospel, the good news that Jesus did for us, what could not do for ourselves, it's actually consistent with the gospel itself. In other words, built into Paul's evangelistic method, built into the framework, is actually the disposition and temperament of the gospel itself. And so I want to kind of unpack that thought, and hopefully it will be helpful for us as we begin to engage and respond to the resurrection ourselves. And I want to look at three things this morning. 
that when you look at Paul's evangelistic method that is actually built into his own method is this gospel, we see three things. We see first that it's motivated by love. It's anchored in grace. And then it occurs or it happens through just ordinary invitations. It's motivated by love. It's anchored in grace. And then it just happens through ordinary invitations. First, it's motivated by love. Look again at verse 16. Paul's walking around Athens and he sees idols everywhere. One commentator said that Athens in this day was literally smothered in idols. Um, One writer said that Athens was literally just one big altar. And so Paul's walking through Athens and it says that his spirit was provoked within him. Literally, it says that he had a severe emotional concern for what he saw. Now, why would Paul be so emotionally upset with what he saw? And here's what I want you to see, is that the reason why Paul is so emotionally upset is because his motivation for all that he does is to love God and then to love others. Paul's first motivated to love God. This verb used, um, this verb for provoked, when it's translated in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is often used to describe God's reaction to when his own people, Israel, worship idols. That when God looks at his people in, in, in Israel and they're worshiping other gods, it provokes God. He's a jealous God, and it upsets him when his own people worship the creation rather than the creator. Why would God be upset? Because God knows that when you worship anything other than him alone, it leads to your own destruction and dysfunction and chaos. And it upsets him. And that got into Paul's bones. He's walking around Athens and he looks out across all creation and he's upset that the Athenians are not honoring and glorifying God. He's jealous for God's name. And so out of the motivation to love God, it inevitably leads him to love others. Where do we see this? Paul deeply cares for the Athenians. Notice how he responded when he saw the idol worship. Did he come in with guns blazing? Like karate chopping the idols? No. This is so fascinating. Look at verse 22. He says, men of Athens, I perceive that you're very religious. Wow, what a very winsome and loving way to engage with the Athenians. He comes in a very winsome and loving way and says, I see walking around your city that religion is incredibly important to you. Paul's motivated by love, and the way we see that is how he cares for the Athenians. He wants to understand them. He wants to win a hearing with them. 
He goes so far as to, to, to quote their own poets and philosophers and thinkers, which demonstrates for us that Paul has taken the time to learn and to understand the Athenians. Why? Because he deeply cares He wants them to come to know the risen Lord. He's not trying to build up walls. He's trying to tear them down to win a hearing. Our own evangelism ought to be no less than this. Christians of all people should be motivated by love. And that means we must be better at convincing this world that we are for them. That we care for them that we actually want to listen and learn and understand where they are. I saw a um, flash mob TV show once. Yep, they exist. And it was a story about a guy who had an online relationship with a girl for seven years. Never met. And he decided it was a good idea to, to appear on a flash mob TV show to tell her that he loved her. And that he wanted to move to the town that she was in to start a romantic relationship. So they set up the flash mob. She goes to a restaurant with a friend. And if you don't know what a flash mob is, it's where you're in a public place and people start to randomly sing and it's a choreographed dance and it's very strange and odd. So she's at a restaurant and the waiter starts singing and then they escort her outside and there's like hundreds and hundreds of people. It's the most impressive flash mob I've ever seen. And then at one point amongst hundreds of people, they all freeze and kind of do the mannequin thing that was popular a couple months ago. And then there's Steve who weaves his way through the crowd playing the guitar and he meets the girl for the first time. And she's like, Steve, what are you doing? And she's utterly shocked. Like, utterly shocked. Like, I can't believe this is on national TV. I don't know what's going on. This is weirding me out. Rightly so. But what was so fascinating was at the very end of the the whole episode, she's sitting next to Steve, and she's processing what happened on the camera. And this is what she says. She says, I didn't know that there was someone out there who cared so much about me that they would be willing to do that for me. I didn't realize there was someone out there who cared so much about me that they would be willing to do that for me. This is what skeptics and atheists and agnostics should be saying when they interact with Christians. I didn't know there was someone out there who cared so much about my questions. Who cared so much about my brokenness. Who cared so much about my pain that they would be willing to sit and listen. To entertain. To weep. To cry. I didn't know that there were Christians out there who cared so much about my unbelief. You see, evangelism really begins by glorifying and enjoying God, and then out of the overflow of the heart, it will lead us to love one another. It's motivated by love. But it's also anchored in grace. Verses 24 and 25, Paul shows us that this message that he has and the method by which he uses it, it's anchored first in God's common grace. 
Look what he says. He appeals to God's common grace by appealing to creation. He says, this God made the world and everything in it. And he gives to all mankind life and breath. God's common grace is that the sun will rise on the righteous and the unrighteous. Paul begins to appeal to God's common grace against the Epicurean worldview that said life is random. And against the impersonal, pantheistic worldview of the Stoics, Paul comes and says, no, God made everything. Which means there's meaning. It's not random. And he's not detached from this world. He's personally involved in it. Whether or not you acknowledge his existence or not. Paul comes and he appeals to God's common grace to all mankind. But this grace is not only anchored in God's common grace, but it's also anchored in God's personal grace. Look again at verse 26. Paul's trying to convince the Athenians that this God cares immensely for them. And how does he do it? He ties it back to the fact that all of mankind is made and endowed with the grace of our Creator. That every single human being is made in the image of a triune God. Which means that Paul's sitting there with the Athenians saying, your life has dignity and worth and value and significance because you're made in the image of of this God who created everything. Former campus minister in RUF tells a story about when he was at the Waffle House, which I know probably doesn't land very well here. Um, <laughs> yes, there is a house in the South that sells waffles 24 hours a day. He's at a Waffle House very late. And he realizes he needs to get home, and he's on his way to his car, and he's met by a homeless man. And the homeless man asks him for, for him to buy him a dinner. And so he says, sure. So he walks back in, buys the homeless man a meal, and then he, he's, he pays for it, and he's heading out. And the homeless man goes, man, come on, sit down and talk to me. It's like 1, 1.30 in the morning. He's like, oh, begrudgingly, he's like, okay. So he sits down with this homeless man, and they have a conversation. The homeless man realizes this guy's a pastor. So he actually starts telling kind of some of his story. He talks about the fact that he'd just been mistreated, fallen on hard times, that he'd been forsaken by family and friends, and he just hadn't accomplished much, and he just felt like his life was meaningless, and that he himself was worthless. And this pastor just looked at him and said, you do know, right, that regardless of what you accomplish in this life, that you are made in the image of God, which means that you, right now, eating waffles, have inherent dignity and worth and value and respect. And the homeless man began to sob. And he looked at this campus minister and he said, no one has ever told me that before. Paul comes to the Athenians and he anchors his message in God's common grace, in God's personal grace, but also in God's special grace. 
Look again at verse 27. Paul tells the Athenians that this God, he doesn't live in temples. He's not served by human hands or sacrifices or offerings. In other words, this God, he doesn't actually need you. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your sacrifices. And yet, you should seek this God in hope that you may feel your way towards him. Because this God is actually quite near to you. This God, amidst all of your idol worship, does not hate you. But he wants you to come and to know him. And he is near to where you can feel your way towards him. This is unbelievable. Because our evangelism is anchored in God's special grace, which means that God had every right. God had every right to abandon and forsake us because of our own idol worship. He had every right to judge us according to the ways in which we worship the creation rather than the creator. And the good news is that God judged his son for all of our idolatrous ways. He judged Jesus according to our sin. Do you think Paul knew about this undeserved grace and favor that he received from God? Of course, God had every right to hate Paul. Paul was literally murdering and persecuting Christians. And yet this God reached down into Paul's life and rescued him. And Paul now is looking out across Athens and saying, I want you to know this God of grace, this God of love, who is near to you because he wants you to know him. He wants you to love him. You see, our evangelism, it's motivated by love. And it's anchored in grace. What if our understanding of evangelism shifted from being not so much about propositional truths, which we need, but what if it shifted to sharing more about how our life has been anchored in God's grace? A friend of mine wrote this. He said, when you're willing to, in humility, to first share with someone about your own brokenness, your own heart idols, your own need for Jesus, then they are much more likely to be drawn into a conversation than if you start the conversation by asking why they don't believe. We want to give people space to put their guard down for a few minutes, not provoke them to put it up. And Paul shows us the way in which you create space is anchor your method and your message in grace. It's motivated by love, it's anchored in grace, but lastly, it happens through ordinary invitations. Look at verse 17. In our passage, we learn that Paul placed himself in the normal, ordinary spaces of life, inviting people to come and to engage with Christ. Notice what he says. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day 
for those who happen to be there. And here's what I want us to consider this morning. Every day in the normal spaces and places where you work and live and the relationships that you enjoy is holy ground for creating a gospel culture where evangelism becomes normal, instinctive behavior. Paul went to the Jews and to the Greeks. There was no one that Paul would not befriend and engage with Christ. And so often we live by appearance, don't we? Have you ever had that thought about a friend? You know what? They would never come with me to church. Or that person would never join me with a bunch of Christian guys to go out for dinner. Have you ever had that thought to where we judge by appearances and we label people as unreachable and irredeemable? You see, Paul didn't have a category like that. There was no one that he would not befriend. A friend of mine in, in RUF tells the story about one day they were tabling on campus at an organizational fair. This is how we meet students a lot of times. We set up a table and we try and interact with students. Well, that day they happened to be tabling right next. They got assigned right next to the Atheist Club. And so Christians with RUF, Atheist Club, they're setting everything up. Students are kind of walking through the org fair, things like that. Well, at one point, the, the president of the Atheist Club and a couple of the other members kind of come over and kind of start making fun of the RUF table. And the campus minister, in a very winsome way, just kind of laughed. He's like, I know, we kind of, we believe crazy things. If you notice, that's kind of what the Epicureans in the Stokes are like, what are these crazy things that you are talking about, Paul? Well, they kind of came over and kind of did that with the RUF table. And he's like, yeah, we kind of do believe some crazy stuff. Yes, we believe that Jesus raised from the dead, you know. And, um, and the campus minister just goes, hey, I know it's crazy, but here, why don't you come to large group tomorrow night and just check it out? So he handed this card to the, to the president of the Atheist Club, kind of their little flyer, and the next night the president showed up. And he later tells the campus minister, he goes, I, I, I came really to provoke and make fun. He goes, but I sat in the back, and what you preached on was what I had been longing for my entire life. And he texted him the next day and he says, I think I became a Christian. Ordinary invitations. You see, Paul comes to the Athenians. He goes to the Jews, to the Greeks, goes to the marketplace every day. And what I want you to understand in the normal spaces where you do life, and the relationships that you enjoy, those are the ordinary spaces to you invite people into the world that belongs to Jesus and let them engage with Christ. Are there spaces or relationships where you have said in your heart they are unreachable? You see, Paul knows in God's economy you are not far from God because God is actually very close to each one of us. Evangelism happens 
through ordinary invitations of life and the spaces that we inhabit and the relationships that we enjoy. So what do we do with this? Let me close with this. John tells us in 1 John 4, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. When you've become convinced yourself of the gospel, the reality of the good news of Jesus Christ, when you've become convinced of the love of God shown to you in Jesus, then out of the overflow of the heart will your mouth begin to speak. His perfect love cast out fear. I was reminded of a movie that came out in the 70s called Brian's Song. It's a story about Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers. They were NFL roommates. Actually, they were the first interracial roommates in NFL history. And it's a story about their unlikely friendship. But the unlikely friendship deepened when Brian Piccolo um, receives the news that he's got terminal cancer. And at one point during the movie, Gail Sayers wins an award for the most courageous football player. And he goes up to receive the award. And he stands up and he tells everyone there that they got it wrong, that this award belongs to Brian Piccolo. But then he says this. He says, I love Brian Piccolo. And I want you to love him too. And I was reminded of that and I realized that is such a beautiful picture of what evangelism ought to be. Evangelism is not go win the argument. Evangelism is not see how you can out-shout the opponent. No, evangelism is looking at your friend or your mom or your daughter or your sibling and saying, I love Jesus because he first loved me. And I would love you to love him too. You see, that's anchoring. That's building the framework of the gospel message into the gospel method. So consider that an invitation this morning. To come and believe that Jesus is still quite near. And you could reach out and feel your way towards him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we do ask, and as we think about your love that came near to us, that that might cast out our fears that we have when you call us to respond to the risen Lord. Lord, give us the grace to engage, give us the courage, give us the heart, give us the love in the ordinary spaces where we do life and work and the relationships that we enjoy to invite people to come to love you. 
Lord, we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.